The countdown continues until opening night of the college basketball season. We are officially under five weeks away. And Sunday will officially mark one month until opening night. It's coming, folks. I really don't know what could be said along the lines of winter is coming like Game of Thrones. Because winter obviously isn't until December. But basketball is coming. Cue the music. And welcome inside the igloo with me, Timmy Ice. Now, I kind of previewed what I would be doing over the next few episodes leading into the opening night of the season because I want to get several more episodes in before opening night on November 25th. And things I want to do, the best and worst teams, best games, the best players, best comebacks, most impactful wins. All those lists will be coming up on these next few episodes and Let's get it started right now with the only worst list I have, which are the 10 worst Big East teams of the new Big East era. So let's start with an honorable slash dishonorable mention, however you want to look at it. And the team that couldn't crack the top 10 and they're probably thanking their lucky stars they didn't, the 2013-14 Butler Bulldogs. Now... After losing Brad Stevens and a slew of great players from the year before where they had made the tournament and lost in the round of 32, you know, one of those players being the late Andrew Smith, there was a lot of turnover. Brandon Miller took over as the new head coach, and this was not a good year as they ended up with their first losing season since the 04-05 campaign. And they started off promising 10-2. and Their only losses coming in the Old Spice Classic in Orlando against Oklahoma State and LSU. But once conference play started, the struggles began to happen. They started off losing their first five and then won two of their next four to get to 2-7 and seven at the halfway point of conference play. However, they would then go on a seven-game losing streak before finally ending the regular season with back-to-back wins in the span of just three days, winning at DePaul and then at home against Seton Hall. However, their season would come to an end with a first-round loss in the Big East tournament against Seton Hall, 51-50. to Um... Really wasn't that much of a memorable team. Kellen Dunham was their leading scorer. You also had Kyle Marshall. Andrew Travis was a solid freshman for them as well. And then Alex Barlow, the former walk-on, was their starting point guard. So they get the honorable slash dishonorable mention nod as they, that year, 14-17 and 17 overall record. 4-14 and 14 conference record. Now, on to the actual list. So, coming in at number 10, 
2016-17 Georgetown Hoyas. Now, this team showed signs of life early on in their non-conference schedule as they knocked off a very solid Oregon team led by Dylan Brooks at the Maui Invitational. However, they had four non-conference losses. And those losses, two of them were in Maui against Wisconsin and Oklahoma State. The latter, um, both of those ended up going to the tournament. They also lost in the Gavit tip-off games at home against Maryland in a local rivalry. And then at home inside of their on-campus gym, McDonough Gym, um, excuse me, McDonough Gymnasium, almost uh, fumbled over my words there, they lost to Arkansas State. So after they had lost to Oklahoma State to fall to a really poor 2-4, and four, they ended up rattling off six in a row, including a big win at Syracuse. However, conference play didn't look so good at the start as they lost their first four conference games. However, they did beat St. John's handily by 28 points. They beat UConn in a non-conference rivalry game, and then things kind of started to slide a little bit. They got whacked by Providence at home on MLK Day. They lost at Xavier, and then somehow, some way, they went on a three-game winning streak, and two of those wins were against ranked opponents, upsetting 16th-ranked Creighton at home by 20, and then winning at number 11 Butler by four. And then they won a tight one at DePaul just a few nights later in Chicago. They then lost their next two before beating Marquette, and then that was when the collapse happened, where they ended up losing their final six games, including in the first round of the Big East tournament against St. John's. In a pretty memorable game for a lot of reasons. I mean, it was a great game first and foremost, but secondly... Of course, everyone remembers the altercation between JT3 and Chris Mullen. And one of the ugly losses as part of that losing streak, they lost at home against DePaul, who was on a 10-game losing streak. You got to be a special kind of bad to lose to DePaul at home when DePaul was as bad as they were that year. And I'm going to talk about that DePaul team later on in this list. That Georgetown team finished 5-13 and in conference, 14-18 and overall. Coming in at number 9, the 2014-15 Creighton Blue Jays. You're going to see a couple of these 2014-15 squads on this list. The best out of them that you'll hear from is this Creighton team because early on they scored a huge upset at home over Oklahoma, led by Buddy Heald. However, things didn't really pan out after that. Uh, they ended up going 9-4 and four in their non-conference schedule. And then once conference play started, things kind of took a turn for the worst as they started 0-8 in conference, and if you're wondering who they lost to in non-conference play, they lost to Ole Miss, Tulsa, St. Mary's, and North Texas. And then they started 0-8 in conference play, and their offense just struggled mightily as they failed to score above 70 points in all eight games. 
and they were held under 63 separate occasions. And then they had a stretch where they exchanged wins and losses from January 28th until February 24th. So for the span of four weeks, they went four and three. And they got a couple big-time wins. You know, they beat St. John's at home. They won at Xavier in overtime. And they held their own against Butler at home and only lost by a by a bucket. And then they also hung tough in their final three games of the year. They lost in some heartbreaking games at Seton Hall and then home against Villanova and Xavier by in those three games by a combined six points. And then they also suffered back-to-back heartbreaking losses earlier in conference play um, against, uh, at the hands of game-winning shots by Sterling Gibbs from Seton Hall at home on January the 10th. And just a few nights later in Milwaukee, Matt Carlino hit a dagger at the Bradley Center. But Creighton did bounce back. They did win in the first round of the Big East Tournament handily over DePaul before falling in a tight game against Georgetown. So moving on to number eight, going back to the 2016-17 season, the St. John's Red Storm. Now, St. John's struggled mightily for the second straight year in their non-conference schedule. The year before, they had gone 7-6. and six. This season, they went 6-7, and seven, a losing record for Chris Mullen and his guys, granted they played a much tougher schedule, but they did have some uglier losses. Well, not uglier, but they did have its their fair share of ugly losses. So, there were some good losses. They lost at Minnesota in the Gavit games. And then in the battle for Atlantis, they lost to Michigan State in VCU, as well as Old Dominion. They got upset in Brooklyn by LIU Brooklyn. They got beat by Penn State at the Holiday Festival at the Garden. But their ugly loss came at the hands of Delaware State at Carneseca on November 29th. However, they did have some pretty good wins. You know, they won convincingly at Tulane, and then they went into Syracuse in their final non-conference game and whacked the Orange 93 to 60. I remember I still remember watching that game and just being dumbfounded by how well they played in that game and just how badly they crushed the Orange in the 2-3 zone. And then in conference play, they started really well out of the gates. You know, they upset 13th ranked Butler at Carneseca. They won at DePaul on New Year's Day and then they rattled off four straight losses before splitting wins and losses, well, alternating wins and losses over the next few games. They did get a couple important wins over some future NCAA tournament teams. They won at Providence. They beat Marquette at home, as well as Seton Hall, both of those wins coming at the Garden. Ultimately, they finished 7-11 and in conference, 13-18 and in the regular season. They beat Georgetown, like I said, in the first round of that Big East tournament. However, in the quarterfinals, they ran into the buzzsaw that was the defending national champion Villanova Wildcats, a game that I witnessed in person and just, and I witnessed first-degree murder at the Garden that afternoon. Uh, Villanova won that game 108-67. to 
it just wasn't a contest from the start. But, you know, there were lots of positive signs from that St. John's team, you know, led by freshman Shamori Pons and Marcus Levette, as well as, you know, a couple guys that ended up making an impact, you know, the following year, uh, Bashir Ahmed, uh, Malik Ellison was a solid player on that year's team. Uh, Kasum Yakwe as well. So, where does that lead us to number seven? Well, that leads us to another 2014-15 squad, and that is the Marquette Golden Eagles. This was a team, first year of the Wojo era, and they struggled out of conference. And they had some, you know, an 8-4 and four record, but with some good wins, but they did have an ugly loss at home against Omaha. Their other three losses, they lost at Ohio State in the Orlando Classic against Michigan State in the semifinal round, and then at home against Wisconsin in, a, in an interstate rivalry. However, they did beat Arizona State which should count for something, and they also beat Georgia Tech in the opening round of the Orlando Classic as well as Tennessee, and that was in the third-place game of that tournament. However, in-conference play, started off all right. At 2-2, two and two, they got both of their wins at home against Providence and Creighton. However, they would then lose six in a row before somehow winning at Seton Hall without Matt Carlino, no less. And then they went on another lengthy losing streak, another six-game losing streak, before finishing the season with a home win over DePaul on Senior Day. They then throttled Seton Hall in the first round of the Big East Tournament by 22 before Villanova throttled them the next day at the Garden, 84-49, finishing 13-19 and with a conference record of 4-14. and Coming in at number six, also in 2014-15, the DePaul Blue Demons, the only other team on this list to have a losing record out of conference like 2016-17 St. John's. They also went 6-7. and seven. And to end their non-conference, they went on a six-game losing streak. They had lost to Lehigh earlier in the year at home. But they also lost at George Washington, home against Illinois State, at Oregon State, and then they lost all three games in the Diamond Head Classic in Hawaii against Colorado, Ohio, and Loyola Marymount. However, in conference play, they pulled a rabbit out of the hat and started 3-0, and were the last remaining unbeaten in conference play at the time. They then lost their next two before winning their next two, including a big upset at number 24, Seton Hall. And again, Seton Hall was ranked 24th at the time. They ended up not making the tournament at all. And then the struggles began to set in. They went on a three-game losing streak, and then they beat Seton Hall again, and that would be the last time they would win that season as they would lose their final eight games, seven in the regular season, then a 78-63 blowout loss at the hands of Creighton in the opening round of the Big East Tournament to finish 12-20 overall with a conference record of 6-12. Now, moving into the top five. You're gonna hear a lot of DePaul, and you're gonna hear a, and you're gonna hear it just again and again and again. 
And we're going to continue. At number 5, 2013-14 DePaul. 8-5 out of conference. Not too shabby. However, I mean, they did play some tough teams along the way. They played Wichita State, who went unbeaten until they were knocked out by Julius Randle of Kentucky in the NCAA tournament. They also lost against Texas in that event, the CBE Hall of Fame Classic in Kansas City. They lost at home to Arizona State. They also lost at Illinois State and at home against Southern Miss. And then in conference play, Got off to a bit of a surprising start after dropping their first three. They went on a, uh, they won their next two. However, they would then drop ten in a row, which wouldn't be the first time they would do it in this new Big East era. Before they finally got back in the win column with a win over Seton Hall, and then they upset Georgetown in the first round of the Big East tournament before falling to Doug McDermott in Creighton in the Big East quarterfinals to finish 12-21 with a conference record of 3-15. Coming in at number four, as talented as they were, the results didn't show for it. The 2017-18 DePaul Blue Demons. This was a team that showed a lot of potential. I mean, just looking at the roster, you know, Max Struess, Eli Kane in their junior years. Marn March was a grad transfer from Northern Illinois. You had a young, raw Paul Reed. Jalen Coleman-Lands was a redshirt that year, and Devin Gage had to take his medical redshirt year that year. Jalen Butts was a freshman on that team. Tredarius McCallum was a senior. And you also had... You know, Justin Roberts, Austin Grantstaff, Brandon Cyrus was still on the team. This was not a shabby... I mean, this team was not that, not too shabby. But they were in just such a tough Big East that it was just impossible for them to rise up. And in non-conference play, they struggled. And ex- they were expected to. And the five losses they did have, they were against good competition. They lost to Notre Dame in the opening game of Wintrust Arena on Veterans Day of 2017. They lost at Illinois in the Gavit Games. And then in the PK-80 Invitational in Portland, they lost against Michigan State in Oregon. And against Oregon, they took them to overtime. Um, And then their other loss, they lost at home against Northwestern. And then in conference play, 4-14. and Surprisingly, just one win at home. They had three conference wins on the road, just one at home. And it wouldn't come until their penultimate home game in conference play. And that was on February 24th against Marquette. They had a lot of close calls. They had a couple really tight games where they took some of the toughest teams in the Big East to the limit. They played Xavier tough both games where Max Struess was phenomenal. He dropped 33 at the Cintas Center for one. And then they... What else did they do? They they played Seton Hall tough in Newark. 
led by 23 from Marin Marich. And then so they had some weird results too. They like they went into Providence and beat the crap out of them, 80 to 63, and it was just a balanced team effort. And Providence just no showed. They also lost a tight game at Creighton by a point at home. And then they also won at Georgetown, a game in which Eli Kane just went off. And then they throttled St. John's in Queens by 17. And then in the Big East tournament after, uh, oh, and, you know, and not to mention on the final day of the regular season, they could have spoiled Xavier's chances of getting the one seed of the Big East tournament, but they only lost by three. They had a chance to tie the game on a three at the buzzer, but Max Drews' three-point attempt came up just short. And then in the Big East tournament, they took Marquette to the limit and only lost by three, and they had a chance to tie the game late. Perfect play execution just didn't work out. So they finished that year 4-14 and in conference, 11-20 and overall. Coming in at number three, the 2015-16 Blue Demons, who only went 6-6 six and six out of conference, but they shockingly got a win over a ranked George Washington team that was ranked 20th in the country at the time. They Not only did they win, they kicked their ass, winning by 21 points. However, their six losses all came in the form of three-game losing streaks. They lost at Penn State in the Gavit tip-off games, the inaugural year of that. And then they lost in their first two games at the Paradise Jam against South Carolina and Florida State. And then later on in non-conference play, they lost at home in a blowout against Arkansas Little Rock, which, you know, in hindsight's not that bad considering Little Rock. Then coached by future Texas Tech head coach Chris Beard, upset Purdue and advanced to the round of 32 in the NCAA tournament before getting knocked out by Iowa State. They also lost at Stanford and then a tough home loss in overtime against crosstown rival Northwestern. And then in conference play, they started 0-6. And they had two close calls, losing at Seton Hall as part of the Big East New Year's Marathon by four, and then at home against number 18 Butler by five. And then they somehow went into Milwaukee and upset Marquette by a point on a game-winning and one by Billy Garrett Jr. And this won't be the first one you hear about from him. And then, somehow, some way, they got another big upset just a couple weeks later on Groundhog Day to start the second half of conference play. They upset Chris Dunn in 11th-ranked Providence at home, 77-70. And then their last win of the year would come against St. John's at home by 8. And then the Big East tournament as a 9th seed, because shockingly, they weren't the worst team in the conference with their seat, the season they had. They lost the eighth seed at Georgetown, 70-53 to finish, 9-22 overall, and just 3-15 in conference. So, number two would become the following year from this Blue Demon squad. Second year in David Dave Lato's second tenure, this was arguably the best iteration of the Big East with seven teams making the tournament. And DePaul was by far the worst team out of that group. They went seven and six out of conference. 
They lost at home against Rutgers in the Gavit tip-off games. They also lost at Northwestern. And then against Temple at the Hoopal Miami Invitational. Then they shockingly lost at home against UIC. And then they lost in Vegas in their two games there in the Las Vegas Classic against Wyoming and Missouri State. And then, I don't know how, but to start conference play, they took Villanova to the limit. Only losing by three and had a chance to tie it on a Billy Garrett three-point attempt at the buzzer, but it rimmed just short. After starting 0-3, they beat Providence on, guess what? Another Billy Garrett Jr. three-point play to win the game. And then they went on a 10-game losing streak before they ended up winning at Georgetown, like I mentioned before. And then they lost their final four games of the year, finishing 2-16 in conference, 9-23 overall. And they had a bunch of blowout losses in the process. You know, they lost at Seton Hall by 31. They lost at Marquette by 25. They somehow took Butler to the limit at home and lost to them by only one in overtime when the Bulldogs were ranked 13th in the country. But other blowout losses, they lost by 35 at home against Creighton. 93-58 to was the final. And then in the Big East tournament, they were up one at the half against Xavier, but they got outscored big time in the second half, 45-33, to knock them out. And then number one, there is absolutely no contest here. 2015-16 St. John's Red Storm. Where do I even begin with this team? First year of the Mullen era, you lose all of this great talent from the year before with losing Jamal Branch, Phil Green, D'Angelo Harrison, Chris Obekba, Sir Dominic Pointer, Rishi Jordan, you lose all of that talent, and you have all this turnover. Yeah, you're going to have a bad, bad time. And it literally started before the regular season even began. Nine days before their opening game against Wagner, they lost to Division II St. Thomas Aquinas in an exhibition game at Carneseca by 32 points. 90-58 was the final, in case you're wondering. And then they had a very confusing non-conference schedule. They got some decent wins. They beat Rutgers in the Gavit games. They played a non-D1 school in the Maui Invitational. They played NAIA Chaminade and beat them. Granted, it was close, and it was like 173 the final. They also somehow beat Syracuse at the Garden. But here's the caveat, though. They were 7-6, and six, and they had some bad losses. Vanderbilt blew them out in Maui. They somehow took Indiana to the limit, only lost by 10. And the Hoosiers, led by Yogi Ferrell, somehow made it to the Sweet 16 that year. They also lost at Fordham against South Carolina in the Hall of Fame shootout in Connecticut. And then they had two ugly losses against Incarnate Word and NJIT right after they beat Syracuse. 
And the incarnate lo word loss was by 22 points. Lost to NGIT by 9. Doesn't get much uglier than that. And keep in mind, they were 7-3 and three after they had beaten Syracuse. They then went on a 16-game losing streak before they got their only conference win of the year against DePaul by 15. And they had some surprisingly close calls, surprisingly against really good teams. You know, they lost by single digits both times against Xavier, they lost only by 10 at Villanova. Only lost by a point at home against Seton Hall. But they had some ugly blowout losses. I mean, where do I begin with them? Lost by 20 at home against Georgetown at the Garden. Lost by 20 at Butler. Lost by 33 at home against Butler. Lost by 25 at Georgetown. And then the most special one of all was losing by 41 at Creighton on their senior day before they ended up losing in the opening round of the Big East Tournament against Marquette in a game they almost won and stole from the Golden Eagles in a shootout. They lost 101-93 in a game where, shockingly, Christian Jones scored 29 points to lead the way. And they finished that year 8-24 overall. Just 1-17 in conference. They are just still just one of two teams to go winless on the road in conference play. The only other one, just this past year, the DePaul Blue Demons. So that's the list of the 10 worst teams of the new Big East era. And I alluded to that big senior day loss. And you know whose senior day it was? Jeffrey Grozell. And guess what? Double G is going to join me next here on the Igloo, so don't go anywhere. That's coming up next. Welcome back inside the Igloo. Keeping things rolling here in Season 2, and now i got my first player interview. Uh, actually, second player interview of Season 2. I had Derek Gordon on the season premiere, and now continuing that on, we're going to shift gears to another blue and white school in the Big East. So joining me now, all the way from Poland, um, Creighton alum, seven-footer, hailing from Plano, Texas, Double G, Jeffrey Grozell. Jeffrey, pleasure having you on. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Well, uh, let's talk about just the journey to get from, you know, Plano, Texas, you know, close to Dallas, um, to Omaha, Nebraska. Obviously, the landscape of college basketball back in 2011 was drastically different. You know, this was yeah. right before all of this realignment started happening. Um, yeah. You know, with Big 12, you know, switching things up. The Big 10 had just added Nebraska um, and Colorado and Utah just at, joined the Big uh, the Pac-12. Uh, so overall, um, what was what was that process like of ultimately deciding on Creighton? Well, uh, I actually had like 30 some odd offers coming out, you know, big 12 schools, uh, pack was a pack 10 back then. How many schools were in the, it was just, yeah, it was going to become the pack 12. Right. Exactly. Yep. 
so I had a couple offers, Cal, you know, uh, Colorado, a uh, uh, bunch of schools in Texas, uh, but a bunch of big time offers. And uh, uh, Steve Lutz, if you remember him, used to coach at Creighton. Now he's at Purdue. Uh, he was coaching at uh, SMU at the time. And, uh, you know, I, my mom's an SMU alum. I went to the camps growing up. So I became close with him. And then when he left SMU, he began recruiting me at Creighton. And uh, uh, McDermott, he recruited me when he was at Iowa State and then continued to recruit me at uh, Creighton as well. And Lutz uh, somehow convinced me to go out to Nebraska for a visit and uh, took the visit and loved it. They showed As soon as they showed me the arena, it was over. I mean, it was Quest Center back then, and, you know, they have 18,000 fans a game committed on the spot. Yeah, I mean, it's it kind of is kind of funny how a simple pitch like that, like literally being sold on an arena and an atmosphere like that. And yeah. I, I think another thing eventually would be an added caveat of being part of a very potent offensive team. Um, yeah. You know, as we're yeah. going to learn later on down the line, but just, you know, first day of practice uh, coming in, you know, as a wide eyed freshman, you were eventually going to retreat that year, but I definitely want to know what it was like, you know, finally stepping out of the court for the very first time against a guy that made a lot of history uh, for your team, Doug McDermott. Well, uh, at that point, I think he was coming off. What did he average his freshman season? Maybe 14, maybe 16 points a game. So he was still a great freshman year. Yeah, very impressive for a freshman. But he wasn't the Doug McDermott of three years after that. Right. You know, he wasn't the big name, all that stuff. Um, but, man, I had no idea what, what I was getting into. I don't know if you remember Greg Achenike. I don't think he ended up playing in the Big East. I think he his last year was the last – yep, for sure. His last year was the last year of the Missouri Valley. Uh, and he's actually playing in Japan now. He's had a fantastic career as well overseas. Um, but, yeah, I, he was just a monster that just ate me up as a freshman. And then I came in, had a bunch of injuries and stuff. My Achilles really bothered me for a long time long time when I was at Creighton so yeah I was definitely not ready for college basketball coming in but I mean luckily for you though I mean be, just to be a part of a growing Creighton team because Greg McDermott had taken over the program in 2010 uh, mm -hmm. had his first year struggles but the next two years proved to be one of the best teams in the Missouri Valley um, yeah you know made it to the tournament in 2012 as an eight seed made it to the tournament 13 as a seventh seed um, round of 32 both times, but you uh, end up losing to, you know, a couple tobacco road teams, Carolina in 2012, and then uh, yeah. Duke in 2013. Um, overall, just what were those tournament experiences like? Um, and especially going up against such story programs like UNC and Duke. I mean, I, I don't think I'll ever forget those moments. I mean, that's something I'm going to take with me for the rest of my life, you know, just the way you get treated. I mean, I was a bench player. I mean, I hardly got in. And still, I mean, we're getting treated like celebrities everywhere we go. We're getting police uh, escorts everywhere we go. I mean, it's just, it's an insane atmosphere for, you know, 
it was, you know, one of the most memorable parts of my life. That's for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, between the two cities that you played, you know, played in Greensboro in 2012, but I feel like Philly in 2012. Yeah. I mean, Greensboro, I mean, how far is Greensboro from UNC? Like less, like less than an hour. Yeah. It was a home game for them. I mean, that's, I mean, they definitely, I mean, they had a very fantastic team that year. Um, and they would have made it for – who was the point guard that broke Kendall his Marshall? wrist in our game? Yeah, I believe so. Broke his wrist in the game. Because if you remember, uh, Ethan Rogge kind of pushed him a little bit on that play, you know. And this was when Twitter first started out. Uh, pushed him a little bit, broke his, arm, broke his wrist, and uh, kind of ended the tournament run for them. Because I don't think they made it very far well, after that. But he was it- – they made it to the Elite Eight. They kind of got lucky because they dealt with like a 13th seed in the Sweet 16, and then they ran into a buzzsaw in Kansas. But they were, a, what, a one seed or something like yeah, that? Yeah, they were, they were a one, yeah. Yeah. Ethan Rogge was getting death threats on Twitter. I mean, this is when Twitter was really young. I mean, death threats, you know, he had to, like, shut his Twitter down for a little bit because even uh, – uh, their whole coaching staff was coming out and saying, like, hey, you guys need to calm down. I mean, this kid, you know, he didn't do it on purpose. It was very insane moment. So this is UNC staff telling these people, like, he didn't yes. mean to hurt them. Yes, yes. And it wow. it was, yeah. Yeah, it was intense. I mean, it it was kind of crazy, especially, you know, this was back before social media is what it is today. So, yeah, primitive. But I mean, obviously, Philadelphia yeah. must have been a much different. I mean, I don't want to sound biased, but a little more enjoyable experience. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was definitely a more enjoyable experience. I think we had a much better shot at beating Duke than we did North Carolina, even though Duke kind of rolled through us. But it felt like you know we were at least, you know, had the talent to compete, compete with them that year where against North Carolina, it didn't feel like that. So. Right now I'm so obviously, you know, you have these, you know, round of 32 moments, you know, back to back years, you know, you've got all this momentum and now all of a sudden you get this drastic change, you know, obviously with realignment going on, it comes to an even bigger head with the old biggies basically shutting down, you know, all these schools are gone. Syracuse, Notre Dame, Pitt, all to the ACC. Louisville eventually went there after one year in the AAC, which ended up being like the rejects of the old Big East. You know, they kind of like, you know, it was the Louisville, Rutgers, uh, Temple ended up joining and, you know, a few others. But uh, the new biggies, you know, people were, weren't really sure what to make of it. You know, you get the remaining Catholic seven schools. And then yep. the, the announcement comes, Xavier Butler, and you guys were going to be joining them to form this new Big East. So uh, take me back to what that moment was like and just finding out that about this huge change is going to be coming. Well, we uh... – we had heard like little bits and rumors here and there, like, Oh, we might be joining the big East, you know, there's going to be a lot of realignment and stuff, but nothing concrete. And we were really just hoping and praying, you know, get us out of the Missouri Valley. We don't want to 
we don't want to travel to Peoria, Illinois anymore. We don't want to travel to, you know, Evansville. all these cities. We, yeah, Evansville. Even though I had family in Evansville, so that was always a good trip. Yeah, even Terre Haute, Indiana. I don't even know its pronunciation, but Terre Haute, Indiana, where ISU is. Yeah, yeah, not not the best cities. Even though St. Louis, the Missouri Valley tournament was always a blast. I, I mean, mean, that was. Art, you can't yeah. you can't go wrong with Arch Madness. No, you can't. You can't. But it doesn't compete with Big East. Madison Square Garden, you're going to New York City, Philadelphia, D.C., a little bit better travel schedule. Yeah, I mean, granted, you're traveling a little bit farther, but I just think the destinations make it worth it. Yeah, yeah, but we were on a, I don't know if you know how Creighton travels, but they're on a private jet, they, luxury traveling, it doesn't matter if, if you're traveling to Peoria, Illinois, or New York, it's just an hour longer flight, so it's not that big of a difference, and uh, the games were actually earlier in the day because because of the time change we're playing at eight o'clock, so it ended up not making that much of a difference with you know what time you get back and that kind of stuff. So travel really wasn't that much worse, and get to go to much better cities, play against better teams, get a better resume. I probably would not be where I am today if that doesn't happen. So that that is that is saying something that is saying yeah. something now uh yeah. the funny thing is like before that season even started you know um team wise there really wasn't according to the preseason coaches poll you know you guys were only picked to like finish like third or fourth but nationally uh everyone was clamoring on uh your senior star Doug McDermott and even more so because of uh, a certain sports illustrated issue which um, where they recreated Larry Bird's cover from 1978, yeah. I believe. And yeah. um, just overall, though, um, what was the hype like just going into that year of, you know, first year of the New Big East, Doug McDermott being like the quote-unquote first face of the New Big East? Well, we all thought he was going to the NBA. We didn't think he was going to come back for a senior year. I mean, uh, I think uh, – I think he made his decision like the day before or something like that before. Uh, I don't know exactly what was going on through his head, but it, it, I was thinking he was going to the NBA the whole time. Then he ends up coming back. And uh, if you remember Grant Gibbs, he ended up getting a sixth year, which actually made a big difference. You know, he was like Doug's almost not right-hand man, but he was the one dishing them a lot of the passes and stuff and you know those were two we go from you know without those two players being a mediocre big east team to one of the best teams in the country so it was uh definitely a really hype season for us and uh surreal experience i mean it was surreal Uh, he's probably the best college basketball player of our generation. I mean, I can't think of anybody that comes close. Yeah, I don't think anyone has, like, surpassed 3,000 points, like, in this millennium, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. And everyone, nobody's coming back for their senior years anymore. Nobody. I mean, we have had some rarities. I mean, we had a couple of biggies guys, you know, that were, like, on the fence. Like, Miles Powell did come back, and then – uh, Marcus Howard, who, you know, set the Big East all-time scoring record. 
Um, yeah. Like in terms of just scoring the rock, though, um, I mean, granted, Marcus Howard, you know, he set conferences all time yeah. scoring record, but but in terms of filling it up for all four years at such a high rate, nobody did it like Doug and McBuckets. No, no. But uh, let's talk about just the overall, obviously, in uh, non-conference play, you know, solid 10-2 record. You know, you're getting some attention. And then conference play starts, and you're off to a good start. But you kind of, like, hit a bump in the road, I would say, like, a brain fart of sorts, where you go into Providence, you don't have your best game. Um, But how in the world, and I still can't, like, fathom how you pull this off, going from such a cold day shooting at the dunk to doing what you yeah. did and what's called what I, I don't know if it's an official nickname, but what I like to call the MLK day massacre in Philadelphia. Yeah. I, I, I still like when I was watching that, I mean, I, I thought I was dreaming the whole time. I mean, everybody was hitting shots. Doug comes out, Ethan come out hitting shots. Uh, you know, we got, you know, Avery Dingman coming off the bench, hitting shots. Jahan's man, a guy. I mean, it was just, I still feel like I was, you know, was dreaming during that whole thing. Like. I don't think, has Creighton played against Villanova in that arena since then? Uh, they actually played them. Okay, so during my senior year, which is 2017-18, they were undergoing renovations at, their on-campus arena. So they were playing all their Big East games at Wells Fargo. So they went there in 18, Villanova beat them by 20. But that was an all-time great Villanova team that year. With James yeah, Johnson yeah, yeah. Way. But this past yeah. year, you probably have been following. Creighton went in there and soundly beat them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think for Villanova, they see Creighton and Wells Fargo on the schedule together. Probably, Probably not a good match. No, no, not but, especially when you got Doug McDermott and Ethan Rogge, two of the probably best shooters of of that year. Oh yeah, and just overall though, that start that Ethan Rogge got on, you know, making seven threes, bang, 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 like that. Just what was overall just from, the reaction of between you know you and the rest of the bench just taking that in. I mean, we're, like, looking at each other like, what the heck is going on? I mean, he's pulling up, like, half court. I think uh, we always said that he shot better when there's the NBA three-point line out there because he would use that as his new three-point line. He wouldn't go up to the college line at all. And for some reason, when that NBA three-point line's out there, he lights it up. It's like a <laughs> you're like hoodie mellow would be put to shame, like, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, but just to, but like, it's crazy. Is it crazy to think, you know, from that 2014 season that, you know, Villanova, they're, they, your, you guys were their kryptonite. Their only conference losses were against you guys. Not only did they lose to you, you, you handed it to them on a silver platter twice. Yeah. Yeah. And was that, um, who was Doug McDermott's senior night against? Providence. It wasn't Nova, was it? It was Providence. That's right. That's right. That's right. But yeah, it, they had a good team that year too, and yeah, we were definitely their kryptonite. Yeah, and I mean, well, up until a certain team of the name of Seton Hall beat them 
in the Big East tournament, kind of knocked them off the one line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and then Providence ended up getting Seton Hall, right? They did. They did. And uh, yeah. they ended up winning. But let's talk about that first Big East tournament. You know, obviously, this ain't no Arch Madness. This is the mecca of college basketball. And obviously, you played a game at St. John's in, in the Garden, and you lost there. But just what was the big difference between that game and then stepping into the Garden in March? Well, we also had, you know, we were one of the furthest teams from New York, but we had one of the most, you know, we had, I don't remember where we were in the rankings of how many fans we had, but we had a ton of fans in New York. And it was, uh, definitely gave us a big boost, uh, you know, leaving the hotel with our fans, you know, swarming the hotel. Uh, it was definitely a really cool experience. I mean, and, and you know, especially just to, I guess, with the light shining brightest, I mean, you know, that's where your star, you know, did his best work, you know, just to watch him, especially in the, in that first game in, where you guys routed DePaul, just what was it like just watching the artist, the artistry on display? I think uh, not only in that tournament, but that year, especially for Doug, I mean, that's when we would, we would always like talk like, oh, is, you know, is Doug McDermott like a, you know, is he really like an NBA level player before that year? And then after that year, we're like, yo, that's a league move. And he was putting like, he was putting moves on guys that were just like, yeah, that's an NBA player right there. That's what an NBA player looks like. And, you know, it definitely showed in the tournament to its, you know, coming off of 40s what 43 40 something yeah for senior yeah. night yeah, yeah I do remember that and I, he I was mean, definitely the hot hand oh yeah and I'm pretty sure like he he might have eclipsed 30 in that first game at least yeah yeah but yeah but I mean obviously first two games you know DePaul Xavier you take care of business but obviously it didn't end on quite the right note you're playing Providence in the title game and obviously for Providence they're playing literally for their NCAA tournament hopes because you guys are obviously going to be in with a 26 and 6 record I mean there's no doubt you guys are going to be in top four seed but Providence literally like they were playing to get into the tournament for the first time like if they lose they're done yeah and And they they have a phenomenal coach Ed Cooley Mm -hmm. Chris Dunn was probably Chris Dunn was that year, right? Or no, Chris no, Dunn was, was the year. No, they had uh, Cotton. They had uh, yeah. Bryce Cotton. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's overseas as well. Yeah, I mean he's a, he's made quite the name for himself uh, overseas. You know, even in spurts in the NBA, you know, he's had some great moments. Yeah. But um, was it weird to see a guy actually step up in a bigger way on that big of a stage more than a guy like Doug McDermott? Um, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, yeah, I mean, they were extremely well-coached team, extremely talented. I'm surprised they weren't a lock going into that tournament. You know, I, I don't know what happened that season for them, for them, but they had a really good team. Yeah. And again, like, it was just weird to see 
uh, Doug McDermott, you know, essentially, I wouldn't say lose the spotlight, but you had a guy, I mean, Doug actually, he played a great game, but just happens on this particular night, Bryce Cotton just happened to be the best player out on the floor. Uh, but, you know. Yeah, it didn't happen very often when when uh, Doug was playing at Creighton. So it's definitely, uh, yeah, definitely uh, interesting, you know, to say the least. Oh, yeah. And obviously it was a bit of a uh, disappointing end of the season, too. Uh, you guys got a three seed in the tournament. You take care of uh, – uh, Louis, the Raging Cajuns, Louisiana Lafayette. I, I, I had to make that plug. I mean, one of the best nicknames in all of college sports. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did they have they, Alfred uh, Creighton? Um, or that I can't remember who was. I can't remember who was the, who their guard was that was, uh, who went to the NBA that year. I'm gonna double it check. Might have been. I am. It, I am. 90, was pro- yeah. I am ninety nine percent sure it was Alfred Payton. And it yeah. was number 10 overall pick in that year's draft. Yeah. Yeah. But, we, uh, we, we look at the bracket and we're like, who are we playing? Like who? We didn't know who Alfred Payton was at that time, but we definitely learned that's for sure. I, I mean, you guys were able to handle him down in San Antonio, but um, unfortunately yeah. I think another unfair home court where with Baylor, playing in San Antonio. I mean, literally you're in the state of, te- I mean, you're home, but for Baylor, yeah. they couple are hours from, yeah. Yeah. And they had, uh, uh, Isaiah Austin then, and they were playing that funky zone. And yep. And, uh, uh, I, the one guy I, I forgot about his name for so long, Brady Heslip. Yeah. Yeah. The Canadian shooters. Yeah. One of my all time favorite sharpshooters. He's Canadian, right? Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they definitely – there were guys going into that game that were like, oh, these guys can't shoot and came out and just had a – they had a fantastic shooting night. And us being known as probably the best three-point shooting team in the nation come out and have a horrible night. Like, if you would have looked at the, the stat sheet after the game, you, you'd be like, oh, this should be flipped for sure. But it was, yeah, we definitely struggled with that, uh, with that 131. Yeah, I mean, and did you like, you know, like at what point of the game almost did you kind of sense like, okay, I think it's, I think it's pretty much over. And then obviously, you know, one of the iconic shots from that year's one shining moment was uh, Doug coming out of the game and uh, Greg uh, holding him, you know, hugging him and, you know, right before he yeah, yeah. got sent to the bench. Um, but just, I mean, obviously it sucks to lose in a game like that, but um, just overall, what was that? Did that moment like feel like surreal to like see him come off the court? Like literally one of the, and we don't even talk about it really, even though we should, like literally the departure of one of the greatest college basketball players of all time. Yeah. Well, honestly, I don't know if it hit me because I was either the one that pulled him out or I was coming in next and I was just trying to get my mind ready. You know, a guy that wasn't getting many minutes. We're down a whole bunch NCAA tournament. This is my one shining moment, I guess you could say, (laughs) you know, trying not to mess it up. 
try and just like, all right, don't get on that top 10. Just, you know, there was, I believe a few minutes left in the game too. I, uh, but yeah, I was at that point, I was probably just trying not to mess up. You know, I wasn't focused on Doug coming off. Yeah. I mean, obviously when you're in the game and, you know, you're just trying to focus on just the very few minutes that you're going to get. Um, I mean, but just to be able to like get that valuable tournament experience, you know, yeah. what was that like? Well, I mean, the whole game, we're sitting there thinking, like, what the heck is going on? Like, this is <laughs> this was not our game plan, that's for sure. Like, basically but, uh, the opposite, the inverse of what happened in Philly a couple months prior. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, but yeah, that, I think, uh, I actually played against Isaiah Austin a bunch in high school. We were, he played in, uh, for the Compton Magic and he's from Arlington. Uh, but, you know, to watch him, uh, you know, play in college at such a high level and then get a chance to play a few possessions against them was, was nice. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, um, unfortunately, what happened to him, you know, during that summer was just really unfortunate. Um, yeah. Do you know where he's at now? Do you know what he's doing? Honestly, I know he, he, he made what, a comeback a little bit. I, I, I could have I sworn he was going to play in TBT this year. He was yeah. on a team, and I remember that. I just forgot what team he was on. But I do remember looking at some rosters. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, he's playing. Yeah. yeah. One like, of the most – Heartbreaking stories. I mean, kid finally gets his moment, make the big bucks, play on the big stage, and then gets it all stripped away. And then to come back, and now he's playing again is, yeah, incredible. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm just really hoping that, you know, even if he doesn't get a chance to come back here in the States and play in the NBA, like, he just deserves an SP for just not giving up and, overcoming yeah. all that and still having a career after yeah. being told he wasn't going to have one. Yeah. 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 Uh, but obviously uh, to get back to just moving on from Doug McDermott, uh, this was going to be a really tough campaign in 2015 for you guys, but early, early on though, you kind of shocked a lot of people when you upset Buddy Heald in Oklahoma in Omaha. Yep. Um, just, uh, were you guys kind of a little bit surprised that you guys pulled it out and um, just um, overall memories from that upset? Well, going into that year, expectations were really low. It was, you know, rebuilding year, all this stuff. And all of us were saying, you know, we've been waiting our turn, you know, we've been waiting, you know, Ethan Rogge graduated, Grant Gibbs graduated. Uh, Doug gra uh, graduated. Um, Managa. Uh, yeah, Managa left. Yeah, yep. And, you know, all of us are sitting there like, you know, we, this is what we've been not waiting for, but, you know, we, it's our time to shine now. And, uh, 
you know, we came out really, really strong that year. And then, you know, upsetting Buddy Heald in Oklahoma was, you know, uh, definitely one of the highest moments of that season because we ended up after that. I think we, I think we just barely squeaked into the top 25 after you that did. game. You did. And then uh, it all came to a crumble. We lost to St. Mary's, I believe, at I mean, home. St. Mary's not – I mean, I don't think that's a loss to, you know, you know, be bashful about, you know. No, 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 not at all. But it was right before the Big East tournament. So we lose to them. And then I think we start off the Big East tournament with 0-9. Oh, 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 like, yeah, uh, actually it was uh, start the conference schedules 0-8. And, and you had yeah. – I mean, there were, you know, quite a few close calls – um, I, I think one of them, I mean, I don't want to rehash, you know, bad memories, but the game at Marquette where Matt Carlino hit the game winner on you. Yeah. Yeah. And we had, we had Nova. We were up on no, I think if you ask Rob Anderson, he'll give you the statistic of how many games we were leading either in the last minute or two minutes. I can't remember, but it was like, we were leading in the last couple minutes and we just blew leads, you know, eight games in a row. It was. Oh yeah. And I, how do I forget this? Literally the game. So I can't even imagine I, just having game winning shots hit on you back to back. Cause Sterling Gibbs hit one on you right before that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's actually when, um, when we started to turn it around is when I started to turn my career around as well. I think we won, was it at Providence? I think we won at Providence. Uh, yeah, actually, we had, actually, so you lost your first conference win was against St. John's. Okay. At home. Okay. Listen, dude, I'm, I'm like a historian. I've been studying this shit nonstop. So yeah. I, I, I've been reading up. So St. John's your first conference win after that 0-8 start. And then who do you remember who we played after that or no? Um, so the funny thing was after that you had a Saturday game against Georgetown where you only scored like forty as a team. Oh jeez. And then and then I don't know how you guys pulled this out. I remember watching this in my dorm room. I'm like, how the hell did these guys win at Xavier? At Xavier, yep. That's the game. That's the game I'm thinking of. At Xavier. I remember, I'll never forget this. They're telling me, uh, they're yelling on the, on the bench. And at this point in my career, they're saying, he's left-handed, don't let him go left, don't let him go left. And at this point in my career, I couldn't turn baseline. It wasn't that I couldn't turn left, or I couldn't go right, so I couldn't turn baseline. So I, I kept getting the ball on the left block, and I was going left, going left, going left. And then they're sitting there, force him right, force him right. And I'm sitting there thinking, little do they know, don't let me go to the middle. But uh, yeah, that was a was it overtime? Double it was overtime? overtime. It was overtime. overtime. Guys, yeah, I mean, you guys ended up pulling up, pulling it out. I think it was like a seven point deficit. Yeah, yeah, like, that was. Uh, who was who was guarding you most of that game? Is it was it mostly Stainbrook? Stainbrook and Jalen Reynolds. Um, that's a this name, was that's a name a lot of people forget. Jalen Reynolds. They shouldn't. He's having a fantastic career overseas. I mean, honestly, Fantastic. just based on, like, his look, he looks like the meanest dude ever. Like, when I was a, when I was a sophomore he, in college, like, I, would, I dared not to make a sign about him because I'm like, 
if he gets mad at me, he might kill me. He uh, he's actually a good dude. Like off the court, no, I believe. I it. see him in da- I see him in Dallas all the time. We're cordial. We see each other. Hey, what's up? How's it going? How's your offseason? Yada yada yada. And then I played against him, and overseas he was playing in St. Petersburg. I was playing in Astana, and uh, we're playing against each other. And this is for whoever wins this game is going to get the fifth seed over in the Russian league, and. Yeah, we definitely got into it. He didn't like how I was playing defense, threw the ball at me, and yeah, he does not like playing against me. I mean, honestly, you know, like, I mean, I I wouldn't doubt for a second he's a good dude. It's just he looks just like I wouldn't, like, just based on his appearance, I would not want to get on his bad side. Yeah, he's a big guy, too. He's extremely strong, extremely athletic. He's, uh, yeah. I mean, he definitely got into a few tips that season, too. He, I wasn't the first one he got into it with. Well, I mean, and not to mention, I mean, every time he would throw it down, anytime he got a chance, just visceral. Like, you, yeah. like you could fear that he could break the back, backboard with any dunk. Yeah. Yeah, and he's still doing the same thing overseas. He's actually probably a better player overseas than he was in college. He – He's almost like found his role a little bit. He's, you know, catching a ton of lobs. He's a great uh, defensive player. He's he's having a fantastic career. The funny thing is, I really question when he left early because um, he left with one year of eligibility to go. And I was really I'm like, why would you go? And but I mean, if he's we doing if he's if he's doing well overseas, then you know, I mean, more power to him. You know. We were all asking the same question, like, what? Like, what does he think he's going to do? And it's, it's, trust me, it's paying off for him. Yeah, it's paying no. off big time. Yeah, trust me. Like, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Let me look what's doing now. He obviously made the right choice. Um, yeah. But, you know, obviously you guys find your, find your rhythm. You know, you win. You know, you get some revenge. You know, you get revenge on Marquette at home. You get revenge after – you guys lost at home to DePaul – and then return the favor in Chicago, which I must have felt really, really good. And then in yeah. the Big East tournament, um, you crushed DePaul in um, in the Big East tournament. And then going up against a really good Georgetown team in the quarterfinal, keep in mind, they just held you to Josh 40 points Smith. the last – Yeah, the, the funny thing is, the, and remember, the last time they played you, they held you to 40 points, and you hung with them all game long. Um, I mean, that must have been a big battle, especially, you know, with – James Milliken leading the way the way he did in that game specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was uh, man. I'll never, I'll never forget that game. My girlfriend still sends me pictures of me like mean mugging Josh Smith, and the way I like approached that game, I had so much energy. I was so into it. I mean, I was not gonna let Josh catch the ball because. I'm sure you remember Josh Smith. How could you forget him? 6'10", 300 pounds. Yeah. Anytime he caught the ball, it was over. I mean, there was nothing you could do. He catches the ball. He's going to back you down. I'm seven foot. He's got, you know, 60 pounds on me, and he's just going to put me under the rim and lay it up. So, I, you know, every time he's trying to post up, I'm fighting for position, fighting for position. And that was a battle. I mean, that whole game was just – a battle for us. I mean, we're fighting for our lives. 
I mean, we're literally like, hey, if we want to make it to an NCAA tournament, we have to win the tournament and we have to, you know. And me, I don't know, like, I didn't know if we were going to make the NIT. Nobody's talking about us, you know. And I'm fighting. I mean, you also got to consider, I mean, at the time you were like 14 and 18. So losing record probably doesn't get you in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's just one of those things that you don't see at the professional level is guys literally fighting for their lives. I mean, it's like you see it in the NCAA tournament. You see it in conference tournaments. Guys that, you know, this very easily could be their last game. And we ended up making it to the NIT, but, yeah, I didn't know that. Your senior year you did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking – I was going to touch on that. Like, I definitely wanted to talk about your senior season because that was a year where Getting you guys – Getting the years mixed up. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you guys exceeded expectations in 16. You know, believe it or not, you were actually picked behind DePaul in that preseason poll. And I remember yeah. that. I was like, you know, I don't know about that. Like, I, I know DePaul has, like, Billy Garrett and Mike Henry who have had nice G League careers. But, I yeah. mean, you guys still had – you for one as a senior and then you bring in you know Kyrie Thomas as a freshman Mo Watson as your point guard from Boston U um Mm -hmm. I mean obviously it took some time to get your footing but when you guys did um just what was it like to like what did it feel like just playing as good of basketball as you guys did at the start of conference play we well we felt like we were the most underrated team in the nation I mean that was our approach I mean, that's how we we felt like, man, no, we're on nobody's radars. Nobody's talking about us. Like, you know, we're not uh, – we just felt underrated. We felt like we were disrespected and that people weren't really giving us the respect we deserved. And, you know, uh, that's just the approach we had to that, you know, to that season. Yeah, and, I mean, you guys had some big wins. You know, you went into – into Newark and beat Seton Hall handily. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, was, I was actually uh, covering that game as a beat reporter for the school's radio station. And uh, I'm not going to lie to you, the the calls on our uh, post-game show, not very nice. And Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't. The funny thing is, like, they, like, they weren't even worried about, like, you know, what you guys were doing. They were like, well, like, we suck, we suck. Like, like I, I don't even think any of them were like, we lost a Creighton like, like that, yeah. like, like, you know, they were more, more so worried about just the low level play that Seton Hall was playing that day versus like, the, like you, you're not going to, you're not going to win a game against a team that played as well as Creighton did. And obviously it was even bigger one, um, you know, taking down Butler a couple weeks later when they were 18th in the country. And, you know, for a while there, you, you know, you guys were, down throughout that game and you know Butler was obviously looking for a win but how did obviously you know when you're in a game that you know you the other team might want it more but just have to dig down and actually want it find a way to want it more than they did and actually go forth and win that game the game that actually sticks out to me that year was uh Xavier when, uh, uh, you know, it's really funny. I was going to get to that because I know Butler was a big upset, but the big one was Xavier. So, yeah, yeah. go ahead. That one's the one that really stuck out to me. And, like, 
And that's when we got a, the slightest bit of recognition that we deserved a little bit, you know, cause we had, you know, had some upsets and, uh, Maurice Watson, uh, had a fantastic game that game. I think he, I don't remember what his stat line was, but it was, it was impressive. Like, I, I feel like um, it was almost a triple double. He was getting there. I feel like he had, I feel like it was a 30 point triple double. If I might be mistaken, I don't know, or close to it. You're going to have to pull up that stat sheet because I, he had a really good game that, that game. I, you know, the really funny thing was, like, I was always one to, like, watch these games, like, in my dorm room. So, and I was roommates with a guy who was a manager on Seton Hall. And my sweet mate was, I don't know if you remember him at all, a uh, sharpshooter by the name of Veer Singh. Uh-uh, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, he uh, didn't really have that much playing time toward the end of the year, but uh, he was—he just happened to be my sweet mate. But I digress. But here's uh, so Mo Watson that night, thirty-two seven and five. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, not only did I mean Xavier was a really high-scoring team. So overall, though, what kind of effort did it take to just completely shut them down like you did, and only hold them to fifty-six points? We played with, I mean, Creighton still does. I mean, just a ton of energy. I mean, they're flying the ball up the court. They're playing aggressive on defense. And, uh, you know, anytime you're playing, that's why I feel like any team playing against Creighton, no matter who they got on the team, they have a chance to win. Whether it's, you know, the Creighton team that we had my senior year, not definitely not the most talented team we had as you know Doug's team or anything like that but I felt like our style of play our coaching the way we played we can beat anybody we could have beaten anybody yeah and uh, you know you know go I mean Xavier is the number five team in the country and you know you made like you probably played them other than maybe Villanova at the very beginning of conference play when I think they beat them by like 31 on New Year's Eve but you played them better than pretty much any other team in the conference and, I mean, unfortunately, you know, you got off to – I mean, first of all, I mean, starting 5-2 and two in conference was impressive in itself. And then getting yeah. off to – I think it was 8-5 and five, um, after you guys had gone into Marquette and won, a, like, a Saturday night game in Milwaukee. And then I think just the toughness of the schedule that you guys had after that, I think that kind of got to you a little bit, running into teams that were, you know, playing much better, you know, playing – at Butler, at Providence, uh, Marquette somehow got you at home. And then, um, yeah. uh, but I definitely want to talk about um, just one of the ugliest games that I've seen in recent memory, but your senior day where you took a really bad St. John's team and took them behind the woodshed. Um, obviously, you know, you want to win on your senior day, but what was the satisfaction of winning that game in that fashion? Uh, I think me, it was me and James Milliken's senior year, right? It was James's, yeah. yeah. And I, we, uh, going into shoot around, we're like, all right, this is it for us. We got to combine for 40 points. And we'd like, we literally mentioned the number 40. And I think that's what the total came to, either that or one or two points more. But it was, uh, Definitely a very special night for me. I mean, 
had my whole family there. I had my girlfriend, all of her family there. I mean, I must have had 30, 40 people in the stands. And it was, you know, very, very special playing the last game in the CenturyLink. I don't know. What, what do they call it now? Uh, it's uh, uh, CHI Health. CHI, now. yeah. CHI Health Center, right? CHI Health Center, yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, did get the, I, did, I did get the numbers. So you guys had 41 combined. You had 22, Milliken had 19. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, but uh, just overall, I mean, you don't really go into a game expecting to win by 41 and drop 100. I mean, granted, I know St. John's was awful that year, but – I don't think you guys were expecting to do that. I mean, you only beat them by 10 in Queens earlier in the year. We, uh, you know, there's just something special about senior night. It just, we had it going for us. You can't, there's just, you know, two seniors that were probably two of our three best players that year, or at least, you know, we weren't going to lose that game. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, but I guess the bigger question is, were you expecting to, you know, open that big of a can of whoop-ass? Me, personally, I felt like me and James were going to have the games we did. Did we expect to win by 40? Probably not. No. I mean, no. yeah, it, even against that St. John's team. Yeah. And they uh, they actually had some, you know, talented players. Uh, gosh, if I can remember a lot of your A lot of European talent, too. They Yeah, they had um, – uh, I'm really embarrassed. I don't remember his name because he's from Dallas and I played against him in high school. He ended up having a decent game that game. I know you're talking about Christian Jones. Yes. Yes. He played for team Texas and, uh, and, uh, Dallas. He, uh, really athletic guy and he had a really good game. He, I mean, that was, uh, one of like his come out, you know, wasn't wasn't really playing before that game, and then yeah, he, he gets ended, subbed yeah, in, he, and of course I know sudden, him, but everyone else, yeah. And all of a sudden, he ended up getting like a bunch of minutes. He ended up starting like the last two yeah. games they played that year. Uh, one of them being in the Big East tournament where they almost took down Marquette. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean that St. John's team. I mean, the funny thing is, I'm working on these lists, and you know. 10 best worst teams. I, I mean, I'm just going to spoil this right now. I mean, I, I, but if you're, if you follow the big East enough, that 2016 St. John's team is the worst team and it's not even close. Jeez. Like, like, like I looked up their, their margin in conference play in eight games, minus 245. Jeez. Who was the, who was their coach that season? That was the first year of the Mullen era. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I remember that. When you have that kind of turnover, you should expect that. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, let's talk about the Big East tournament game in 2016, um, your senior year against Seton Hall. Um, this was a bit of a grudge match, you know. Um, um, oh, what's the term that's used in baseball? Um, it's the – it's like if you're in a three-game series and, you know, it's tied 1-1 and, you know, it's – it's not the grudge match. It's something else. The rubber? The rubber, rubber match? Rubber game. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, so it's the rubber game, essentially. You guys have beaten them soundly in Newark. They beat you in Omaha. Now you get to play on neutral court, Madison Square Garden. Boy, was that a game. And just the individual performances were insane. But I definitely want to get your take on uh, just 
the unexpected but incredible performance from Cole Huff that night. Man. Yeah. See, Cole Huff, I don't think I've had a teammate that's been in the gym as much as Cole Huff. I mean, ever. And it's like, it might not even come close. This dude slept in the gym. And we're all sitting there like, oh, it's about time. Like, we all knew, we all saw what he did in practice every day. We all saw the reps that he got up every single day. And it's just, that's just a great story of perseverance and hard work pays off right there. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like strange to like, obviously, when you have a game like that, to have it come up short. But, you know, yeah. looking back on looking back on it, like that Seton Hall team in particular, man, I mean, the eventual biggest tournament champions, but um, does it, it probably doesn't sting as bad knowing that you lost to the eventual tournament champions, but just a young, young group of such high potential. It stung be a little bit, obviously, because it's my senior year, but right. because of their youth as well. I mean, like, when you're lo- losing to guys younger than me, even to this day, I look at the roster and I see somebody that, uh, you know, he's a rookie, all right, I'm going at him. Like, I played against, uh, what's his name, Breggs from uh, – played at Kansas, then went to New Mexico, uh, and now he's overseas. Yeah, see, I don't, yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I don't remember him, but I feel like, yeah. If I looked him up, I'd probably remember, but, you know. He, uh, yeah, he, this is his first season overseas. I saw his name. Okay, this is who we're playing against. Um, you know, I'm going at him. We played against uh, Khalil Jones. If you remember him, played at Kentucky. Mm. And then went to – and transferred to NC State. And then he's playing overseas. I had him last week. Again, second season all right like I'm going at him and uh it always hurts to lose to people that are younger than you yeah I mean that year in particular uh with uh Angel Delgado who uh I don't know if you know this um he actually his senior year he actually became the biggest all-time leading rebounder doesn't surprise me doesn't surprise me uh, where, where does he rank in terms of toughest guys you had to rebound against just in the Big East? Toughest guys I had to rebound against. I mean, he's got to rank <sighs> high up there, but does he have he your was number one? Probably not because – was he a freshman or sophomore my senior year? Sophomore. Yeah, probably not because – the following year, always, he led the country in rebounding. Yeah, yeah. See, that's the thing. I didn't catch his, you know, tougher years. I'd probably have to – for me, it was always harder to rebound against guys that were, like, really big, you know, Josh Smith, Matt Stainbrook, like, these guys, because they're hard to move. Once they get underneath the rim, there's no moving them. And to me, that's always a much, much tougher job than uh, a young – um, the younger, you know, like more adult. athletic players. Right, right. Yeah, right. yeah. Like, I, and yeah. and like, it's 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 got to be like tougher to judge because like there's not really many guys in the Big East with your height. Yeah, no. I no. mean, I don't think. I mean, just during your last couple of years, I don't think I can name another seven footer in the Big East. If I'm being totally honest with you, 
Like, I, I mean, there might have been one that came close, but oh, Bradley Hayes was one of them. How tall was uh, St. John? They had a freshman center. Yeah, how tall was, was he? Sema. Yeah, he was six yeah. eleven. Okay. Okay. Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't many of them. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, you would think, you know, Big East would have a, you know, a a decent plethora. Although, of guys. Justin Patton, seven footer, he was in the Big East that year. Oh yeah, and he, he redshirted that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. The funny thing was, I remember watching him like do these workouts in that game where you guys played at Seton Hall your senior year, and I remember watching him. I'm like, wait, we don't have to face him today, right? Because if if we do. We're we're screwed. Uh, yeah, he was uh, he was uh, very raw back then, like really raw coming in his freshman year, and he put on, you know, a bunch of weight that season, and he really improved throughout that year. Yeah, like I I mean I do remember his rawness, but just some of the things he was doing, like his ability to get up and just. Just dunk yeah. the ball. I was watching this. I was, like, my jaw almost hit the floor. I'm like, man, if this kid can, like, tweak some things, oh, my God. Like, this could be a lottery pick. Yeah, sure enough. And look yeah. what happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just to, you know, get that senior year, of, um, I mean, granted, you know, there was another team, Marquette, who was vying for an NIT spot, but you ended up getting it over them. But just to be able to, you know, get – uh, two more home games at the CenturyLink Center, uh, as it was known back then. Uh, I forgot who the first one was against, but I knew the second game was against Wagner because they pulled an upset earlier yeah, in the against, tournament. Against what, the Bunnies of St. Bonaventure? Uh-huh. Yep, yep. I'll, uh, yeah, that was uh, an interesting upset because my best friend, TJ Klein, he was playing at Richmond, and I'm sitting there calling him. Hey, tell me about uh, tell me about the Bonnies, because you know we weren't even we weren't even scouting for Wagner. I don't think. I mean, we we were expecting, and sure enough, I talked to TJ after the season. He was like, "Yeah, you could just tell those guys had didn't want to play in the NIT. They were pissed that they didn't get an NCAA bid and just wanted nothing to do with the NIT." Like, I can't even imagine, like, I know that you want to be in the NCAAs, but even if it's in the postseason, like, just completely sandbagging and just saying, like, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, like, I'm calling it a day. Like, I mean, where's the competitive spirit in that, you know? You know, to me, I was, you know, fighting for every game. I'm sitting there, you know, I was watching the, you know, nobody's watching the NIT uh, selection show. I'm sitting there watching it like, are we going to get selected? Like, and then just going insane when we got it running up into the coach's office, talking to them about, you know, the next couple games. And uh, yeah, that's definitely something like you got to cherish every time you're on the court whether it's in the NIT or in the NCAA tournament, whether you're playing overseas or wherever, you never know when it's going to be your last. Yeah. And I mean, obviously that ultimate, uh, you know, final game for you. I mean, obviously most of the time when you step off the court for the final time in a college game, it's in a loss. And this one happened to be in Provo, Utah 
against BYU. Um, just, uh, yeah, just take me through just the raw emotions of just walking off for the final time and kind of like letting that feeling sink in of like, okay, this is over. Well, first of all, you have to realize where we're at. We're in Provo, Utah, and, you know, a majority of their people there are Mormon. And I don't know if you've had much experience with Mormon people. They are the nicest group of people in the world. I mean, the nicest group of people. You meet them, and, like, we're at a Chipotle the day before the game. You know, people are coming up to us. Oh, you know, we're just praying for a really good game for both teams, all this stuff. And we're like, what is going on? We go into the game, and it's like all bets are off. And they're like, during the game, they're not swearing at you, but they're yelling at you. They're, you know, telling you, you suck, all this stuff. Their players are talking trash. And we're like, what is what switch just got flipped? It's almost like it's their outlet because they can't do anything. They can't like they don't drink, they don't do anything else. Sports are their outlet where they just they play hard and they let it all out on the floor. And then as soon as the game's over, oh great game, you guys played so tough. All this we're like, what? Like it's very strange experience, that's for sure. If you've never been to a game at BYU, it's definitely an experience. Uh but, you know, coming off the court, their fans know that it's our last game. We're crying, and they're, like, showing us love and support. You know, it was very, uh very unique experience, to say the least. And, you know, I had a decent game, uh, and they were just the more experienced team. They had a like a six, six point guard. Can't remember what his name was. Yeah. I can't remember, but Oh my God. I remember this from early in the earlier in the year they had a kid named Nick Emery Mm -hmm. and they were playing a game at Utah and he hit a kid with a legit punch. And (laughs) like, I remember watching this and I remember watching like on like, it was like the next day on sports. I was watching like, Oh my God. Like for a kid from a, from BYU, like classic Mormon school, like yeah. that is the unholiest thing that you can do. Let me tell you, once once that ball gets tipped, all bets are off. They play dirty, they talk trash, they I mean that's just that's just how they I mean there's nothing wrong with it. I I'm not the cleanest player ever and I don't necessarily don't talk trash. That's for right. sure. Yeah. And according to uh, according to um the player that got hit, he like Emery told him to like after he punched him to stay down. Like really, that's root. Like I don't know about you, that's ruthless. Even for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is. But uh, yeah, but it's crazy. You know, moving forward, you know, like let's just you know, essentially put the um put you know with the VHS tape in. Let's fast forward a few years. Uh, to yeah. summer summer 2019, uh, you get a very unusual but unique big opportunity with the United States Pan Am team being represented by the Big East. Uh, how how did that come about, and you know, what was it like, you know, fitting in, you know, along with Tyler Weidman being the only guys who were like college alumni, fitting in with guys that are 
still in school at the time? It was uh, just overall as an experience, probably, you know, top three at least proudest moments of my career. Being able to put that Team USA jersey on, even though it wasn't, you know, the Team USA, the top team, proudest moment, you know, one of the proudest moments of my career. And, you know, who knows, maybe in 20, 30 years, might tell my grandkids that I was playing in the Olympics. I mean, they're going to see that jersey on the wall and it's going to be the same one that, you know, LeBron or Anthony Davis were wearing. So, uh, but, you know, I get a call from my agent and he was like, hey, they're doing this Pan Am games and, uh, you know, they want you to play, play in it. He's, and he's like, uh, I don't, he's like, I don't know. Like, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, of course. Yes. Like, I'm, I want to go do it. And it's one of those things where your agent might tell you no, because he doesn't want you to get hurt. It's uh sometimes it can be a risk, you know, to players. Agents sometimes, you know, they have, they have one thing in mind and that's, you know, you making money and I'm not getting paid to be there. And so, you know, it happens, you know, like just ask Paul George how his experience with Team USA went. Right. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of times agents won't want you to go. And he's like, are you sure you want to go play? I'm like, hell yeah. Like it was, you know, it was an honor for me. I know Coach Mack uh, had a big uh, – played a big part in getting me on that team. And uh, Coach Cooley and him are good friends. And Coach Cooley's a fantastic coach. And it was a great experience. Great. Yeah. Nothing bad to say. Yeah, overall, I mean, it must it must have felt weird like having to like blend in with guys that were like still actively in school. Yeah, right? yeah, and I had just come off a year where I was the youngest American on the team to being the oldest guy. It was definitely a change of roles a little bit, and had to, you know, step up, you know, my role as a leader a little bit on that team. You know, being the oldest guy, being well, one of the most experienced players on the team. Uh, and we had an extremely, extremely talented team. Yeah, and, you know, let's talk about just some of the guys that were on that team. I think specifically, you know, the guy that ended up winning Big East Player of the Year this past year, Miles Powell. Um, I, I just think it was really funny to see him don the number 10. And, you know, if you were, if you know, you know, the guy made famous for wearing number 10 during his you know, U.S. Olympic career, Kobe Bryant. And, I mean, he was doing yeah. Kobe-esque things uh, when he was playing down in Peru. Um, just overall, I mean, wh where does he rank? I mean, obviously, his – like, his senior – like, when you were a senior in college, he was a senior in high school. So, what was yeah. it like – so, what was it like just to watch him work his magic? I mean, as you know, just a prolific scorer. I mean, prolific. Every time he catches the ball, wherever he's at, he's a threat. I mean, uh, a little undersized, but, you know, you would never know by watching him. Plays with, you know, an extreme amount of passion. I mean, he's a very passionate player. 
you know, uh, extremely, extremely talented. One of my favorite players to play with, really underrated passer. I, I, you know, I will, I'll vouch for that. I mean, as time went on, his vision and passing the ball and just, it, it just grew exponentially. I mean, you yeah. also had, I mean, you also had a lot of, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, you had a lot of Providence guys. I mean, it is a given with Ed Cooley, but yeah. I mean, another guy that I was really um, excited to see uh, take the court. I mean, obviously, to see a, to see another Creighton guy must have been really refreshing in, in the form of Tyshawn Alexander. Yeah, absolutely. It was really refreshing. He didn't play his best games there. I think it was um, – sometimes it's not easy to play when you've got, you know, 10 all-stars on a team. There's not enough ball to go around. And so Tyshawn uh, – almost was the man left out in that situation. And, you know, he obviously has shown he's probably, you know, top three, two players that were on that team. But you wouldn't have known it by watching the Pan Am games. Yeah. I'm, and overall, though, I mean, um, literally, what did it feel like to literally be Captain America? Uh, just – I mean, it's surreal. I mean, you get the goosebumps when you're sitting there and they're playing the national anthem uh, before the game. I mean, it's uh, definitely, and of course, this was before, I mean, players were kneeling and stuff. For I think Kaepernick was kneeling at that time, but uh, the national anthem to me at that time obviously was, you know, you get the goosebumps when it, when it came on and you had that USA jersey on. Yeah. And I mean, over and to leave Peru with, with some hardware, I mean, granted it's not gold, but just to leave yeah. it, all, um, what was it like just to be on the podium, you know, and essentially, you know, lowering your head down and to have that go around your neck. Well, I, Yeah we were not going to leave empty handed. I mean, that's for sure. We went into that game with, you know, that in mind, we can't come all the way down to Peru and not leave with, you know, some kind of medal And the game before that against Argentina. We didn't, yeah, we didn't stand a chance. Listen, Luis Scola I, I just. That. I watched that game. Like, I mean, some of the guys, I mean, Luis Scola, I mean, why the hell is Luis Scola playing? He's still playing overseas too. Yeah, I know. He's got to be he's got to be 40 by now. Yeah. I don't know how old he is, but yeah, he is still extremely talented. Like I'm like this man And they have some has, and all their guards too. Yeah, I mean all their but, guards are at the highest level overseas as well. So Like when I saw Skull out there, I'm like this man has no business being out on the floor with guys who are like half his age. Yeah, literally half his age. My point Oh is man. But yeah. um yeah, I mean, just that bronze medal game again, just like you get to that point of like where all was everyone saying like, okay, like uh uh-uh, we're not we're not losing this game, period. No, I mean that was the talk. We're not going home empty handed. And 
we weren't yeah we were just not gonna let that happen we didn't travel all this way go through all this training camp to come home empty-handed and I think we won we won the bronze and then I signed uh a big contract in France for me uh like that I can't remember if it was that night or the next day because we were in talks going into that game uh, with my former team in France. But yeah, it was a good couple of days for me. Then. Yeah, 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 yeah. It did. Uh man, but just to uh, I I was just thinking about this. You know, you talk about you know when you look at another team's roster and you're just like looking at like okay, who's ripe for the picking? Were there any uh, guys in the Big East that you remember where you could you know? During your during the time in which you you know were the starting center, of course, where you kind where you just looked at another school's roster and you're like, and you nitpick one guy and you're like, okay, I'm gonna take this guy down, like, you know how you told me where you know you have a young guy that you just want to go after. Oh man, not that I can recall. I remember. Not anybody like in particular that I was like, yeah, I'm going at this guy. Uh, Delgado, I always liked going against him. You know who I always loved going against was uh, Stainbrook. Mm. Matt Stainbrook. One of the most skilled big men that I've played against. And uh, I always loved playing against them because, you know, it's always a challenge. Yeah, and also, like, I feel like um, other things that, like, kind of, like, get, like, swept under the rug or don't get talked about as much is just some of the on-court chatter. Uh, so, um, I guess, you know, uh, who is one guy that you kind of, like, love chatting it up with um, on the court? Um, because, obviously, sometimes it can lead to bad things. But uh, who is one guy that most of the time it was nothing but good and maybe something funny time to time? Well, Stainbrook was funny. That's one of the reasons why I loved going against him. He was hilarious. <laughs> um, who else? Uh, you know who was actually uh, overseas that I played against my rookie season? Uh, you remember Cooley, the big man who played for Notre Dame? Oh, yeah, Jack Oh, my God. Jack, Jack Cooley. Man, he knows how to talk shit. Sorry, excuse my language, but he go right ahead. He uh it was my rookie season. Uh you know, we're just going back and forth. I'm scoring on him, he scored on me. He actually ended, ended up having a better game than me. But he's like yelling at my coach, like, Oh, you better find somebody to guard me because he, he sure can't. And I'm sitting there like, jeez. Oh, Talking to your coach? Then, oh yeah. Oh yeah. My God, that's next level. Yeah, and we were going at it, and it was, uh, you know, after the game, we go up and shake hands, you know, mutual respect. We both had good games. He ended up winning, and we lost the game. But, uh, yeah, he was, you know, one of the best trash talkers I've played against. Nobody in the Big East that I can really think of. Jalen Reynolds, of course, me and him have gotten into it on a few occasions overseas and in the Big East. Right. Uh, again, we're we're cordial when we see each other. We're, I mean, he's a good dude. Got nothing bad to say about him. Having a fantastic career, but when we see each other on the court, 
it's not there, pretty. You got to throw everything out. Um, but also yeah. another thing I was thinking about: uh, toughest place to play on the road in the Big East. Ooh, first thing that comes to mind is Butler. I mean, Hinkle Magic, tough to beat it yeah. sometimes. Yeah. I'll never forget going to the free throw line. And uh, they start chanting my girlfriend's name. And me and my girlfriend oh, are together. Wow. Yeah. And wow. I'm trying not to laugh. We're losing. And I'm trying not to laugh. Kelsey Coon. I'm like, how the, he- how the heck does the whole stadium know my girlfriend's name? And I'm trying not to laugh. And the coaches know what's going on. Jeez, and I thought I was ruthless. Damn. What, what else? I mean, obviously, we talked about places, uh, place to play on the road in the Big East. Favorite city that you visited on the road in the Big East? I mean, there's nothing like New York City, but is that your number one? I actually don't like New York City. I mean, listen, it's I not for like everybody. If you, you know, if you're from a smaller town – Big city scares you. I, it's loud. It's dirty. People are packed on top of each other. I don't get what's the love. I don't get it. My girlfriend lives there, you know, on and off. She travels around a bunch. Um, and she loves it. And I've visited there in the summer and stuff, but I, I don't know. I don't get it. Chicago was always nice because we, uh, we went to a place, I believe it was called Gibson's Steakhouse. It was fantastic. Fantastic. Chicago was nice. Uh, Indianapolis was always nice, you know, playing at Hinkle. So. Yeah, I feel like Indy is an underrated city. I mean, I've been told by that by my WSOU colleagues from, you know, yeah. the radio station in college. Yeah. You know, they have nothing but good things to say about Indy. Chicago, I need to get out there for a huge sports fan like me. I don't know why I haven't been there yet. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, I mean, basketball-wise, you probably would hate D.C., but city-wise, it can't be that bad. Yeah, we uh, yeah, we went on a tour, very historical, you know, uh, place, obviously, and it was uh, definitely a learning experience when we went there. It was, you know, like we were still in school, still in class. Uh, you know, like, you're like, all right, all right, class field trip time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, what it was. But it was, you know, I love doing that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the more educated you are, the better. You know, more power to you. Um, yeah, yeah. Best. Uh, if we're talking just your last couple of years of college, um, who uh, who would you say teammate with? Uh, uh, I would say the best humor, best personality, you know, who would be like the class clown of sorts? Ooh. Class clown. Oh, Will Artino. For sure, hands down. That's another guy. In my primitive sign day and sign making days, Will Artino, I made a sign. We were on a six-game losing streak when you guys came to town. I'm like, there were only like, maybe 150 students tops. I made a sign that said, Will, Will Artino hasn't showered in seven weeks. <laughs> that like, does I'm- not surprise me. He, um, God, he was a clown. Big, he self-proclaimed Big Swag. That was his nickname that he gave himself. Big <laughs> Swag. He, me and him didn't exactly see eye to eye when we were 
together. I mean, we're obviously, you know, cordial and stuff in the locker room. Nothing ever, you know, happened. And we were good teammates to each other. We loved playing with each other. We weren't exactly good friends. But now that, like, now that we don't see each other every day and we see each other in the, in the summer, I love Will Lartino. He's an awesome guy. Uh, you know, he's great to be around in spurts. And when you're with him every day, got on my nerves a little bit in college, but was love me the, some big swag like, now. Like, yeah, like, would you say, like, he was probably the teammate that was trying to pull, like, the most, like, antics of sorts, if you will? Probably not the most antics, no. He was just, like, a, he was like a cartoon character. Like, you can't, you can't make up some of the stories. Like, you can't, like, he was a cartoon. I need to, and you know, granted, I love big, him. No, big, I love him. You know what? If we're going to get some stories, big swag, get on the igloo with me. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Please do. He's had an interesting career too. He's been all over and it's ups and downs and he's definitely on his way up now. That's for sure. But yeah. over, but overall though, I mean, just, you know, it's been, you know, over the last four years to watch Creighton basketball grow to the heights that it has, especially with this past year, to, you know, get a share of the Big East regular season title. Uh, what's it been like to, you know, granted, you probably wish you were being a part of it as a player, but what's it been like watching him from afar? It's been, you know, it's been awesome. I mean, uh, you know, coming back every year and seeing the players grow, uh, you know, like Martin Crample, for example, you know, you know, multiple ACL tears and watching him grow as a player and make his way overseas. Uh, he's got a fantastic story. Uh, uh, Justin Patton, the year after I left, you know, going from me, you know, whooping his tail every day in practice to being a lottery pick. I mean, he watching him grow while I was there. And then once I left, um, you know, watching Coach McDermott grow as a coach. I mean, he's, he's you know, arguably top, top whatever, top five coaches in the NCAA right now. I mean, I, I can't think of a better offensive coach to play for than Greg McDermott. I, I, um, I totally agree with you there. I mean, there is – Especially if you're a shooter. If you're a shooter, where else would you want to go? Literally, I mean, there's a reason why. I mean, granted, your nickname is the Blue Jays, but there's a reason why, you know, the slogans let it fly. Yeah. Because Greg yeah. McDermott will let you do that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. And then but... this past year in particular, it was, you know, really great to see, you know, the guys that were on Team USA with me, you know, watch them play their senior years. And one of, one of the most underrated players – on Team USA was probably David Duke. Ooh, that's a name I yeah. like a lot. Like, I mean, yeah. this is a guy that is probably going to lead Province to the tournament again this year. I'm, I'm, I'm liking it. And, like, he, he's going to be their guy now. He, uh, he had his, like, come out game against Creighton, too. I'm watching the game, and I'm like – and I, I remember looking at the stats, and the stats weren't, you know, overly fantastic or anything. I'm like, man, I've – I was in practice with this guy, in training camp with this guy. This guy can play. And then comes out against Creighton, and I believe he had like 30 or something. Yeah, he had, he I don't had, remember what well, it was. I think he had like 34 maybe? 
Yeah. Yeah. He and some big it. shots too. Yeah, but Creighton had some bigger ones, you know, especially from Mark yeah, Zagorowski. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it, it's crazy to think, you know, Zagorowski right now, probably the front runner for Big East Player of the Year this year. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, I think another thing I got to talk to you about, because I know uh, Rob Anderson gave me some great insight when I talked to him. So I mean, it's been like over a year now since I talked with him for, for an episode of the Igloo, but Creighton versus Cancer Night. Like that has, I think that has got to be, and I said this on my show, one of the most underrated college basketball traditions in the country. You got to attest to it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Creighton does a fantastic job with it. And, you know, something that, you know, really hit home with me, my stepmom had breast cancer and uh, I still, to this day, I wear, you know, the pink out socks to every game. Every game, I used to wear pink shoes my senior year. Um, but you know, what a fantastic tradition! One of the most underrated traditions in college basketball, that's for sure. And you know what is number two in my book for Creighton? Dollar beer night. Oh my! Someone had to bring it up. Someone yeah. had to bring dollar beer night yeah. up. Yeah. Ah. Uh, uh, <sighs> Were you ever tempted to just say, like, tell one of the managers, like, sneak me one down here? <laughs> that is – I I am looking forward to the day where I can go to Dollar Beer Night at Creighton and just sit in line. Because, I mean, that's what they do. The fans, a lot of times, a lot of the students will sit in line because the line's so long, get a couple beers, hold them in hands, drink them while they're in line, watch the game, enjoy it, get back in line. The whole game and, you know, really rowdy and rambunctious night and not something you'd expect from Creighton, but definitely really underrated. Like, is it fair to say that you'll be able to die in peace if you can finally go to a dollar beer night and participate? in? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I actually last season I caught uh, uh, caught my first game at Creighton. I'd never watched the game from the stands until last season. I watched uh, on, uh, it was either New Year's Day, maybe New Year's Eve against Marquette. New Year's Day. No New Year's about. Day. Yep, yep. Caught that game. And that was an unbelievable, unbelievable experience to be back. Now I just have to be, have to be there for Dollar Beer Night. And I got, I got to ask. Life will be complete. I got to ask you too, like, Obviously to obviously to be in the actions one thing, but to like go from that to go spectating it, what's that difference like? It's it just brought back so many memories of I mean so many great memories. Just being in that arena, being in that atmosphere again. And, you know, I wanted to be out there so bad, you know. Uh, but you know, it, it was, uh, such a, I don't know, it, it, it just brought back so much, so many great memories. I mean, I think this is a very apropos way to kind of, you know, wrap this thing up. You know, you've talked about, you know, how you owe your career really to the big East. Yeah. Um, yep. and you know, we tied in, you know, breast cancer. I mean, it's breast cancer awareness month, Creighton versus cancer. Most under one of the most underrated traditions in college hoops. And then yep. 
you know, talking about, you know, doing something, you know, although your agent is probably telling you like, why do it if you're, if there's no money involved, but you still, you still played for team USA strictly for the love of your country. And, you know, there's, yeah. there's, I mean, literally, I'm, I'm, literally is the simplest reason. And, you know, Hey, like that's, it takes a lot of sacrifice, willpower almost, but you know, when you take an opportunity like that, you, when you got an opportunity like that, you got to seize it. And that's exactly what you did. Yeah. You see, and you've seized a lot in your career and, you know, you know, going on your fifth year now, uh, playing overseas, you know, again, just doing great things. Uh, Jeffrey Grozel, thank you so much for the time. It was great to, you know, chop it up with you. Um, you know, best of luck over, overseas. And when uh, our schools uh, collide, um, better believe we're, we better get into it a little bit. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. More on the Igloo is coming up after this. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Igloo. A big thank you again to my guest for this episode, Jeffrey Grozel, for talking about his Creighton career as well as his budding career overseas and the tremendous experience he had playing for the Biggies All-Star Squad at the Pan Am Games in Peru back in the summer of 2019. Double G, if you're listening, best of luck in your overseas career moving forward. Keep doing great things. So, coming up on the next episode, well, Big East Media Day is coming up this Wednesday, and guess who is going to be in on it? That's right, the Igloo is going to be at the virtual Big East Media Day on Wednesday. I'm going to have a lot of great content for you. I don't know what I'm going to be in store for, but... Whatever it is, I'll be ready for it. I'm excited to be a part of it and cannot wait to bring some awesome content to you from that. So be on the lookout for that. I'll have that up at the end of next week. So until then, this is Timmy Ice signing off from the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week for some great content coming to you straight from Biggie's Virtual Media Day.